Good morning. Happy Super Sunday. Glad that you're here this morning. And uh, whether your team made it or whether they didn't, and whoever wins or loses today, it's going to be a Super Sunday. Why? Because it's not on football. You're here to encounter the living God. You're here to encounter the living God, maker and sustainer of heaven and earth. It is going to be a super Sunday. Uh, please take your Bible and you're not surprised. Find James. Find James, would you please? We're in chapter one. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 12 through 18. I'll be reading from the uh, New International Version, whatever you may have, maybe a little bit different, but uh, what we're going to do this morning is uh, find some things about, about God, and we're going to find some things that are true about ourselves. And uh, so we'll, I'll read James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and then we'll get started. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers, my dear sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. In the ups and downs of life, I hear James is encouraging us as Christians to count it all joy when we come across all kinds of various trials. Wouldn't it be neat if we were like, just show me on paper, or where am I? What is going on? And I just wish I could have it printed out for me. Uh, what is happening in life? Well, you're welcome because we have it up on screen for you this morning. Somewhere this morning, you're on this graph. You're here somewhere on this graph. Nudge your neighbor this morning and say, are you breathing? Because if you are, you're somewhere here on this graph. Right? We have... The unbeliever, those who have not come to Christ first, who have been born again, the Bible describes us as dead in our transgressions and sins. This is where we all begin. This is where we all begin. But by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his work in our life, he causes light to shine into the darkness. And we see him for who he is. And he redeems us. He 
transports us from the dominion of darkness and places us into the kingdom of the Son of God. That's conversion. That's often called being born again. You become a Christian, a new creation in Christ. And there begins your Christian life. All the ups, all the downs. And this is what James, this is who James is writing to. He's writing to us who are believers. And then on that glorious day when we set aside this temporary tent and we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. And we will be like him and we will see him as he is. So this morning, as we work our way through James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, he's talking to us in our pursuit of holiness, growing in holiness, and our walk with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Christian life. It's not easy, right? This is why he's saying, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. But what's interesting here in James 1, verses 12, 12 and 13, there, are, there is a word that it's translated two ways. It's interesting to find that when you see in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, that word there is the same word translated temptation or being tempted in verse 13. If you have a New Living Translation, it says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial and temptation. That word is translated trial or tempted. So which is it? Am I being tested or am I being tempted? Yes. I used to play soccer in high school, and I had a coach who was really good. He had good intentions for us. He knew what it was going to take to go far into the season, do well, and make it into the playoffs as far as we could. So you know what he made us do? Run. Suicides. And if you're familiar with that, it's starting on one end line of the soccer field, going to the 18 and back, going to the half line and back, and then going to the other 18 and back, and then all the way down to the end of the field and back. And we did that a lot. Good intentions. He knew what it was going to take. He was training us and developing endurance in us. I wanted to quit. And right there, the test becomes a temptation. The enticement to quit, to abandon what the coach had intended as good and purposeful. Our faithfulness and commitment to God is tested every day, is it not? It may be with your greed, envy, anger, pride. Do I trust God in this or, or don't I trust God? Um, forgiving, being kind, gentle, Every time you feel the pressure of a test in life, you will be tempted to abandon God's plan during that test. And that's what temptation is. It's the enticement to abandon God's will, God's plan, God's best for your life. Temptation itself is not a sin, 
right? Did you read that in the text? Temptation is not a sin, and God doesn't do the tempting. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. No, God cannot be tempted, and God doesn't tempt. We learn something about God. In Matthew 4, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by Satan. To be tempted by Satan. It is clear that both God and Satan participated in the testing of Jesus. God intended the test to prove his son's righteousness, but Satan intended it to entice Jesus to misuse his power and to give his allegiance to Satan. God's tests, God's tests are never a solicitation for evil. Right? Did you catch that? God's tests are never a solicitation for evil. God tested Jesus by righteousness, but Satan tempted Jesus by evil. Hold your place here in James. Go back one book to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, had to share in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15 of Hebrews 2 says, And free those who all their lives have been held slaves to their fear of death. Verse 16, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, look at verse 18, Hebrews 2:18, Because he, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted. Did you catch that? He is able to help you when you are tempted. God tests. The enemy tempts. God wants to produce righteousness. The enemy wants you to abandon God's will and plan and purpose for your life. He wants to make shipwreck of your faith. You see, Satan has lost the battle for your soul if you're a believer here this morning. And so now his aim is to destroy your joy and to derail your faith. That's his goal. He's lost the battle for your soul. You've become a believer. You're walking through the Christian life. Dog, gone it. Well, I'm going to try to destroy their joy. I'm going to try to derail, discourage their faith. But God's aim in your Christian life is to show his worth. And the mirror 
that God chooses to show his worth in is the indestructible joy of the people that follow him. And their faith in trusting in him, especially through trials, right? So Satan aims to steal your joy, to take it away, to discourage you in your faith, and God's aim is to show his worth, to magnify his glory and his attributes. And he does that through your life as a mirror to others. And it is especially visible when those who follow him through trials have joy. It is especially visible to others when those who trust in Jesus and don't understand why or what is happening still walk by faith and say that he is good, he is gracious, and he is kind, right? Satan and God are not competitors. Satan and God are not competitors. For reasons known unto himself, God allows Satan certain power up to a certain point, right? We remember Job. And ultimately, all of Satan's work fulfills God's plan. Did you catch that? Even the work of Satan ultimately fulfills God's plan. Acts chapter 4, in reference to what had happened to Jesus Christ, Luke says, they did exactly what your power and will had already predetermined for them to do. When you, you want to talk about the sovereignty of God, he's even sovereign over evil. At the cross, Satan was like, yes, we got him. <laughs> and then Sunday morning, he rises again. Like, ah! Oh! And what he didn't realize, he played right into God's divine purpose. God used sin to defeat sin. How amazing is that? Holding accountable all of those who willfully did wrong towards him, but in so doing provided the forgiveness for their wrongdoing and their evil. That is amazing. That's our God who began the good work in you and will be faithful to complete it. Just a quick reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You're not alone in this. This is not unique to you. Your temptation that you are facing or will face it's common. It's common to man. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Satan wants to steal your joy. He wants to discourage you in your faith. God's purpose is to let people see your indestructible joy and your faith remaining steadfast, especially and even through trials. And so when you are tested or tempted, you're being enticed to abandon God's purpose, will, and plan for your life. He says it's not uncommon to man. God is faithful. Listen, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Does somebody say amen? That's good stuff right there. He will not let you be tempted 
above what you can bear. And he will also provide a way to escape. He has been tempted. And so he is able to help us when we are tempted. Now, God will allow tests to feel overwhelming. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 9 says he allows those to happen so we won't depend upon ourselves, but upon him who has raised his son from the dead. Upon the power of God we rest and rely. But temptation, we have a way out. He promised. And part of the way that he provides for us an out is our conscience. Our Holy, the Holy Spirit now indwells us and says, nope, Jerry, no, that is wrong. That's a lie. Don't believe that. The Holy Spirit, our conscience. The other way that he provides a way out is Scripture. Remember when Jesus was tempted? What was the first thing he said? Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, the first thing he said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And so for us this morning, we hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against God. We have the holy scriptures as our offensive sword to fight the enemy. Prayer. Pray. James encourages us. Seek wisdom. Call upon Jesus. Lord, I need your help. Show me a way out. Give me wisdom and power and strength. And sometimes it's nice and best if you just get out of there. Flight. Flee. Remember Joseph in the, the story, the actual historical account? He gets trapped by Potiphar's wife and he is out of there. The best thing that I could do at that time is leave. Another way out is pre-planning. You know yourself to some degree. Don't go there. Don't participate in that. Don't listen to that influence. Pre-planning is a way out. And then another one is believers. Surround yourself with good people who trust Jesus and love you and have your best in mind and that are willing to care for you enough to give you a loving rebuke or encourage you in your walk with Christ. You have a way out. That is not an excuse to say, I couldn't do anything else. He gives us a way out. He is our present help in our time of need. So we can't say that God is tempting us. If you go back to James chapter 1, for God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt evil. In verse 14, we learn a little bit about ourselves. Remember, James is writing to the believer. He's writing to the Christian, and notice what he says in verse 14. Each one is tempted. God's not tempting me. So where does it come from? We are tempted when by our own evil desires. Did you catch that? Is that new information to you this morning? That even as a Christian within you, you have evil desires? Are people basically good? What's the biblical answer to that? Romans chapter 3. There is no one good, not even one. 
Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fall short of the glory of God. Remember that on the graph, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. That's where we all are. We are not basically good. But then as you enter the Christian life, oh, you, you've got to read Colossians because it's such beautiful imagery of God thinking of all that Christ has done as you as having done it. He attributes in the wording of Colossians, he says, since you have been dead with Jesus or since you have been raised with Christ, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing to consider that all that Christ has done, he has us as having done it. But in that, Colossians chapter 3 uses some strong words, putting off the old self, putting on the new. As a matter of fact, Colossians 3, 5 says, mortify the deeds of the flesh or your sinful nature. You know what that means? Make to die. I'm not coddling my sin. I recognize that, yes, I know who I am in Christ, but in the sinful nature, I have these evil desires that well up within me. And Paul encourages us that to recognize in the Christian life, you aren't completely made holy like Jesus. It is a progressive work of becoming more and more like him and becoming more and more free from sin. So you got to have war with that in your life. Make to die. That's an aggressive term to be a... Take it seriously. We hear it all the time. It's not okay to be okay with sin. But we do have some encouragement if you're at some point read the end of Romans chapter 7 because the Apostle Paul is very vulnerable in sharing his walk with Christ when he says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good but I can't carry it out. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. What and who is going to save me from this wretched body of sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. If Romans 7 describes you here this morning in the frustration of wanting to walk with God and then having evil right there present, as hard as it is, you're in a good place. Because it's a progressive work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How about the phrase, just follow your heart? The other question was, are people basically good? We know in Romans chapter 3, that is not the truth. People are basically evil, unrighteous, and a slave to sin. Here's a confession. Over the Christmas season, I enjoyed watching Hallmark. I know. I know. Don't tell anybody. I love it when the woman is kind of caught up in a weenie kind of a guy. And then there's this masculine guy. And I'm rooting for him. Leave him. What? What attracts you to him? And go to this guy. He's, he's manly. He's... Anyways, often the phrase is, 
Well, just follow your heart. What's the biblical answer for that? Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? So we have evil desires. We have a heart that is deceitful. We have an enemy without the devil who wants to steal our joy and derail our faith. But you have to realize, brothers and sisters, you have an enemy within. You have an enemy within. Well, the devil made me do it. He didn't need much help (laughs) because within me are evil desires, self-reliance. See, the opposite of love, it's not hate. It's selfishness. That's the opposite of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the opposite of love is not hate. It's all about me. Self-righteousness. The heart will exploit the mind to justify what it wants. You need to write that one down. Because that is so true. The heart will exploit the mind to justify what it wants. You have to lead your heart. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Where your treasure is, right? Where your treasure is, I treasure Jesus. I treasure the things above. I treasure his word. I treasure the Holy Spirit and his work in my life. My mind rules my heart. Your mind rules your heart. Where your treasure is, There, your heart will be also. Powerful stuff. So when you move through James chapter 1 to verse 16, he says, don't be deceived. Right? Don't be deceived. Who is the author of deception? Satan. And your heart is right there also. Don't let the enemy, the devil, or your heart deceive you. And this is where it gets good, right? This is where it gets good. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, from your father. Now recognize, father is a loving, caring, nurturing relationship. He knows what is good for you. He has your best interests in mind. What is really awesome in this verse is the word perfect, every good and perfect gift, the word that describes the gift Perfect is also the same word in verse 4, translated mature. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters as well, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be perfect or that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what's interesting, what's the perfect gift that's described in verse 16? Every, or verse 17, verse 
uh, it says, every good and perfect gift. What's the perfect gift? What's the maturing gift? Trials. And they come from who? Your father. They come, they test your faith, they're developing perseverance. Perseverance finishes its work so that you may be perfect, made complete, become mature. And in verse 16 and 17, don't be deceived. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking he's not good. He doesn't have my best interests in mind. If he loved me, why does he allow this to happen to me? Don't be deceived by the enemy or your heart in thinking that the trial he sent you is not good. It is as hard as it is to go through it, as hard as it is to receive it. It is a good and maturing and perfect gift. These come into your life because he is conforming you to the likeness of Jesus. What James is trying to get us to see is what Peter describes in chapter 1. Turn to the next book after James. Oh, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish. It'll never spoil. It'll never fade. And we're kept, it's kept in heaven for you, who, you, who believe in Jesus Christ, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. And we rejoice in that. I know of his great mercy. He has redeemed me and purchased me and placed me into the kingdom of the Son of God. In this, you greatly rejoice in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1. Now catch this, though now for a little while. That's your life. That's your Christian life for a little while. It's but a vapor, a blink of an eye. Now for a little while, what's going on? What's happening? These trials come into your life. Though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Why? Why have they come? Does he love me? Does he even care? My heart and the enemy is telling me he doesn't have your best interests in mind. I feel like I'm running suicides and I want to quit. He says, no. These have come so that your faith, listen, it's greater worth it's more than gold we love gold here we're gonna walk on it up there but gold is refined by fire it draws the impurities up and they are skimmed off so gold becomes pure and even more precious and this is what's happening to your faith so that it may be proved genuine in verse 7 and may result in praise, glory, and honor. So you see, your indestructible joy and your steadfast fast faith mirrors the glory and goodness of God as you walk through trials and say, I don't understand and I don't know why they have come, but I am 
trusting in my good and gracious Savior. He knows what's best for me. He began the good work. He will be faithful to complete it. I don't have to have all the answers. I rest and I trust in him. Faith on display. That's the series of James. And it is no better and no greater truth than you walking through your trials. And not saying, I'm not tempted by God. I am tempted by my own evil desires. And with God's strength and help, I'm going to make to die the deeds of the flesh. I'm going to walk in step with the Spirit so I don't gratify my own evil desires. I have an enemy without and an enemy within. But by the grace of God, we will persevere until the end. You see, Romans 8 says, God knew you before creation. God predetermined to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. God called you out of darkness and placed you into his kingdom. God justified you by the blood of Christ. And it says in Romans 8, God glorified you. It's past tense. It hasn't happened yet but it will. You can have all the confidence. Because Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not freely with him give us all things? <laughs> That's a glorious passage to commit to memory. God gave his son. How will he not with him give us all things? So in other words, what he is saying, if God has gone to the greatest lengths to do the greatest good for you in your life, which is the sacrifice of his son, do you think now, as you're going through these hardships and trials, that he has evil intentions towards you? No. He gave up his son. How will he not with him give us all things? The strength, the courage, the endurance, the power that comes through the Holy Spirit that indwells. How will he not with him give us all things? He does not have evil intentions towards you. He's done the greatest good for your life. Hebrews 12 We'll close with this verse, these verses, and then have a, three observation points. Hebrews 12, look at verses 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. The author, right? And how many have the perfecter? of your faith, the maturer of your faith, right? It's just like James. He's encouraging us not to be deceived. Every good and perfect gift, every maturing gift, the trials we face are causing perseverance and are making us more perfect. Anything you go through, every tear you shed, every hardship is not wasted. It's working for you. A far greater glory than will, that will surpass everything. When you, just, when you have one glimpse of Jesus in glory, all the toils of life will be repaid. 
And so here, the encouragement from the writer of Hebrews is fix your eyes on Jesus, the author. He's also the perfecter of our faith. He begins the good work in you. He will be faithful to complete it. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, it's an act of the mind, right? Consider it all joy when you come across all various kinds of trials. Don't be deceived. See, this, it's, it's the mind of Christ in you to lead your heart and to resist the devil. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right? That, look at Jesus. See Jesus. Consider Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Know the heart of God. He's the good coach. And running suicides, you're like, I just want to quit. The coach may run alongside you and say, Jerry, you're doing a good job. Come on, just a couple more. You can make it. That's where the illustration falls short. Because for the Christian life, he indwells us, welling up within us power and strength. Because it is, it is his work in us. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in us to will and to do of his good purpose, plan, and pleasure. So three observations as we close this morning, based on James chapter 1. Number one is trials, tests, suffering. These things teach us that our greatest problem is not our circumstances. Our greatest problem is the sin still hidden in our heart. And it is God's love and mercy because he's predetermined us to be like his son. He sends these good and maturing gifts that come in the shape of and form of trials and hardships. And so for the believer on the progressive work of Christ in us until we see him face to face, we realize it's not our circumstances, but our own evil desires where we mortify and make to die the deeds of the flesh. It's not our circumstances. God uses them to be Come more like Jesus. It's the sin that's still in our hearts. And number two, it's more loving of God to reveal himself to you than to immediately relieve you of your suffering. What would be God's best gift for you? Oh, yeah, $100,000 would be great. Or a cure for cancer would be great. Get me out of this circumstance would be great. No, God's best gift to you, to me, is himself. It is more loving of him to reveal himself to you than to relieve you of your suffering. Mary, Martha, lost Lazarus, right? What did Jesus do when he got word that he was sick? 
right? I thought you loved us. And when we needed your help the most, you stayed? How is that loving? Enemy, heart, God is not good. He doesn't have my best interests in mind. Mary and Martha would have never seen Jesus for who he really is if they didn't walk the road of suffering the loss of their brother. I am the resurrection and the life. Wow. Lazarus, come forth. And he did. It is more loving of God to reveal himself to you than to immediately relieve you of your suffering. And then the third and final observation, the encouragement is to be a telescope, not a microscope. Both magnify, right? Both of them magnify. The microscope takes something teeny tiny little, insignificant, and makes it bigger than it really is. But a telescope also magnifies. It takes something that is virtually invisible to the natural eye, but it is huge and makes it more like it really is. A microscope to God is blasphemous. James is encouraging you to allow the trials and suffering into your life to mirror the worth of God for who he really is. That's my God. I can trust him. I know he loves me. He is good. He is gracious. He is kind. I don't understand it, but someday it'll all make sense and it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Psalm 1611, I encourage you to commit this to memory. You have shown me the path of life. In your holy presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your holy presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is good. Life is hard, no doubt. We have all the ups and downs. Life is hard. God is good. Oh, but brother, sister, glory is coming. Glory is coming. You can and you will persevere. Let's close our time in prayer. Lord, with gracious hearts, we are just so thankful for your work in our lives. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your patience. The letter from James is so encouraging. You have called us to be your own. You've done this work. You're the author, and you are also the finisher. We rest in that. We have nothing to offer except our need for you. May we drink from the well. May we rest in your spirit and trust your guidance and direction in our life. Keep us in step. Help us to make to die the deeds of the flesh. We love you. We look forward to seeing you someday. And this is all for your glory 
and your honor and your worth. Amen. If you need prayer, if you're struggling with something, if you want to know how could I be saved, we'll have a team of people here up on the left, my left, your right, that would be love to pray for you and encourage you in your walk. Thanks for being here today.